up, folks? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Justice Show. Mike Malta and Sincere Hogan back here once again. What's going on, man? Man, we're, we're, as usual, we're having a fun conversation with the guests before we start recording. But what's funny is that both you and I, well, actually, I was sick last week, and it sounds like you're just getting over something right now. But I had a horrible, horrible stomach flu last week. In fact, I think next time we do a bonus episode, a subscriber episode, we should talk about strategies to avoid getting sick and then also what to do when you are sick. Sometimes right. the advice is pretty simple. Don't work out and sleep as much as possible. Exactly. Other times it's a little <laughs> bit more complex. But we'll definitely yeah. do that on the next on the next Patreon subscriber episode. But what's going on with you, man? How are you feeling today? Yeah, like I said, I probably won't be talking as much because I am like coughing, 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 and it's, it's annoying as hell. So good thing we have mute, you know, the mute button on this microphone. So every now and then you're gonna hear me going off. But other than that, man, I feel way better than I did yesterday. Yesterday I was like yeah. rumpled still skin. I was sleeping most of the day, whether I liked it or not. Like I was, <laughs> like I was telling you guys right before the call, like no matter where I sat down, if I was being still for less for like just a little bit more than five seconds. I was asleep. I was out. And it was just like someone would shoot me with like a tranquilizer every five seconds. But you know what? I just had to just go with it because it was a it was a hint. Obviously, I needed it. It wasn't like I was being lazy. It was like because I'm the one that I got I have to be doing something. And at that point, it's just like, you know, this is not normal, but obviously it's needed. So I'm just going to let it I'm going to let it ride, man. So, you know, I slept throughout most of the day and. I'm I'm probably about 70, 75% better today, man. I was actually able to walk the dogs at least halfway through our route <laughs> today. But then it got to the point where it's like, okay, it's starting to feel a little bit of vertigo here. It's like, it's time to go back <laughs> in, boys. And then, of course, my English Bulldog is like, what do you mean? It's like, I'm I'm having fun. I am I want to walk up these. No, we're not walking up hills. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to pass out. <laughs> Tell me that's not going to As a dude, you never want to pass. Anybody, I don't care who you are, but you definitely, as a guy, don't want to pass out. That's a good way to wake up. Like, wait a minute, what happened? Why Why is it when I sit down, it hurts? Yeah, you wake up, you wake up, that's face my big down. Fear with, as a dude. Your, pants, your pants are pulled down to your ankles and you're face down. <laughs> exactly. My biggest fear as a dude is to pass out, man, because it's just, I just, I make too many jokes about Oz on this show, and I, I don't want that kind of karma coming back to me. I don't want it to manifest. <laughs> we always talk about how to so you go to your You go to your proctologist and he goes, hey, man, you got to stop doing that. That kinky stuff. So what are you hey, talking man, about? <laughs> I was I was checking your prostate, but I was able to you know also check you know your throat at the same time from the same space. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> because, I'm just saying, you know, it's a lot of real estate that's been opened up out there. Your proctologist so, yeah. is going, look, I don't judge, but you got to lube up if you're going to do this kind of stuff. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, proctologist, not an ear, nose, throat, throat doctor, man. Come on. <laughs> No, but you know what? Oh. The, the level of fatigue I experienced when I had the stomach flu was just overwhelming. I mean, it was amazing that you would sleep nine hours and you wake up and you're just wiped out. You haven't even done anything yet. You're just tired. <laughs> exactly. Everything was a chore, man. <laughs> Everything yeah, was a chore. The biggest thing for me, man, was like one minute I'm hot. And then I'm sitting there, it's freezing. I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah. What? And, but then I checked my temperature. I'm like, I don't have a fever. So that's what threw me off even more. It would have felt better to be freezing, having the chills, if I had a fever. You know, but at the same time, my body temperature was normal. I was like, I said, okay, this is not right. So yeah, it was just okay, okay, body, you that's win. I'm classic, listening. You got my classic <laughs> flu symptoms right there. You're just going. That's the same thing. I was experiencing the same thing. Once I got over the flu, I went and got a massage. I get weekly massages anyway. I was going to skip it. But once I got through this flu, I went and got one. And, man, yeah. that was painful because your body is so inflamed and you have oh, those yeah, aches man. and all that. It, it was yeah. pretty painful. I felt a great deal better after that, though. So by the weekend, I was about 100%, got my workouts going again. 
<laughs> so I jumped back into squats, and then the level of soreness I experienced from that, I'm still sore today. What is it, Tuesday? I was like, yeah. man. <laughs> it's like I only took about a week off from squatting, but your body, because you're resting so much, your body's tight. You know, you're not eating as much because you're dealing with this sickness, so you're just in this in this depleted state. So that I think well, I mean, we'll get into this more when we do that episode, but yeah. when you jump back into training after being sick, the the big mistake a lot of people make is they try to pick up right where they left off. Right. Right. Left off. Exactly. It's, you know, work like, in your favor. I don't care if you're wrong. They're like, oh, I was only sick for a week. I was like, yeah, but being sick for a week is like not training for several weeks, right? Because that's how much the Especially with certain exercises. You know, when it comes to squats and deadlifts, it's like, oh, yeah, you were sick for a week, but it's going to feel like you were sick for like six months, you know? If you're training hard enough. Now, if you're just somebody that's kind of going, they just love to work out, you may be okay. You may, just that's like right. we talked about that on previous episodes. But if you're training hard, nah, man, it's, it's going to feel like you've taken about almost a year off. <laughs> just right. Your groove is going to be so jacked up. It's not even just the weight. It's just your groove. Just Even just getting into the pocket and everything else, you're going to feel so – your rhythm is going to be so jacked up. You're going to be like, what the hell? It's like I haven't done this before. So it, it takes a, it oh, takes a couple I sessions to get I, back into the groove, man. That's right. And you, you just take your time. But I, but I can't tell you how good it felt just to work out. One thing about being sick is you really appreciate your health Ooh. once you get it restored. Yeah. Because it, it makes your focus extremely singular. Like during that whole week, the only thing I was concerned about was getting healthy again. I wasn't concerned about PRs. I wasn't concerned about business. I wasn't concerned about any of that stuff. I just wanted to get well again. <laughs> so it prioritizes what's important. The problem is when most of us get well again, we go right back to the <laughs> right same back to what got us there in the first place. Issues. Well, we know we go right back to the same things that weren't weren't worth worrying about for while we were sick. It's still not worth worrying about now that you're better. So I think that's one of the important lessons you can learn from that is you go, you know what? <laughs> At the end of the day, if you're healthy, your respiratory system is good, you feel good, everything else is just a luxury problem. So don't overstate the negatives that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, which are mainly just inconveniences. Exactly. Westerner problems, as I call it. <laughs> so, Well, Alexander, I can hear you jump on, jumping at the bit to get in here. So we got Alexander <laughs> Cortez. He's, he's like, man, i got to start talking. He is one of my favorite guys on Twitter to follow. There's a few people on Twitter I really enjoy following. Alexander's one. Lee Boyce is another. Uh, Christian Thibodeau's another. Sincere, you always put up good information. So I love checking on. It's it's kind of one of my morning rituals where I like to get on Twitter and just check out what some of the smart people I follow are doing. And then that gets my mind going. I go, oh, hey, I like what Alexander said. That provokes a lot of thought for me to say something, or you said something, Sincere, or Lee Boyce said something. Also, Alexander, I was reading one of your posts today, which I really liked. Yeah. Where you basically said, first thing in the morning, don't check your phone, don't get on the computer, just right. read for an hour. And I yeah. like that, but yeah. I started doing that. I mean, on and off, I've done that over the years, but recently I started doing that because I don't like waking up in the morning and getting a cup of coffee and then getting on the computer and just dealing with emails and business nuisances and all that. You, you, you got to warm up to that state. So I like, let me do something for myself first. I'm going to read some stuff, provoke some thought, absorb some information, and then I'm going to get into that. So is this something you've been doing for a while? Yeah, you know, it's, it's something that we, I, I deem it, which can we live in an age of distraction? So right. the majority of people, you know, the average person, when they wake up and, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, you know people being you know, germaphobes, you know, being disgusting. You, you've been sleeping with your phone the whole night. You know, most people, <laughs> God, God knows how that goes to your sleep. But, you know, lying in your bed, you have your hand, you wake up, you immediately check your phone, and then you start your whole day off reactive to, Facebook updates, reactive to emails, reactive to 
you know, whatever the hell, you know, is popping up in your notification feed. And that, that sets the tonality to essentially how you live out the rest of the day. And right. you know, the, the sheer act of reading, I said this in a, a podcast of mine, I think like a week ago, reading is like a superpower now. You know, the, the ability <laughs> to, you know, no, really, the ability to sit and focus yeah. upon one thing with undivided attention for an hour or two hours or, you know, the same, same thing with training. Yeah, absorb right. information and not try to not tweet out the information, not sit and you know have to share it, but just sit and read and think. You know that of itself has massive benefits to pretty much every aspect of life that requires skill. Right. So yeah, I know what's interesting is that even that. even with entertainment, it's now a skill set. For the this is sad that that I'm saying it's a skill set, but just the ability to go to a concert and not look at your phone for the hour and ten minutes that the band is up there <laughs> performing. Don't film it. Don't tweet about it. Don't take pictures to post anywhere. Just watch the performance. Be in the moment. Watch how many people do that. Very few. Well, I mean, I, that, that, I, I, I was at a concert, uh, not a concert, but, you know, watching some live music even uh, this past weekend. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I was there, and it was amazing. How I like, yeah, I love live music. I'll sit and watch and just yeah. listen. Everyone else is on the phone. Just, you know, the conversation <laughs> with, you know, that, these are probably, like, Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, too. And you can tell, like... Who's going to sleep with who? Like, looking over, I'm like, uh, he's not looking at her, he's not looking at him. You know, maybe, maybe they're like tweeting the fucking date. I'm like, no one's getting laid tonight, and no one's really Well, even if they are getting laid, they're not going to be in the moment. They're going to be on their, they're going to be checking their phone. They're going to be like, yeah, he's on top now. He's, he's about to flip me over. Or they're, or they're taking, like, selfies, taking selfies while they're kissing, or they're in the bed, like, wait a minute, now it's turning into, like, a freaking live sex tape now. Dude, I didn't need to see this on Instagram, man. Like, really? I don't need this in my timeline. Unfollow. It's like, come on, man. I feel like I, I, feel like I should be paying you 99 cents a minute for this. I mean, geez. Well, the, th- the interesting thing is, and I've posted this before on Twitter and elsewhere, is, how many experiences do people engage in for the sole purpose of sharing it on social media? And, and would they even do those things if they couldn't share it on social media? And I think a lot of people fall into the category of they wouldn't do anything unless they can project it out to, for others to see. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know how you find that statistically, but like even things like in, you know, I, I was in the bodybuilding industry for a period of time, but. Yeah, you know, like the proliferation of like bikini competitions or wanting to do men's physique, um, right? And just you, know, you have like regular, you know, you know, James and Joes where you know, saying the impetus to get healthy is not to do it for the sake of your health, you know, for the sake of your, you know, your life, for the sake of quality of life. It's because well, I want to be on stage too. You know, I, I, I think I want to diet. I want to train for you know, you know, for whatever twelve, sixteen weeks, and then step up and you know, invite my family to come look at me and like. That has nothing to do with quality of life at all. You know, I mean, bodybuilding in itself, modern bodybuilding, is highly narcissistic. So, you know, yeah. are you trying to go? Are you are, are you eating healthy or eating clean, going to the gym to, you know, fulfill you know your quality of life? Or are you doing this because you want to satisfy this, this sense of narcissism that that's going to be gratifying to you? Right. Yeah, but probably the, the, the latter, not the former. I think when you take anything to an extreme, it's not healthy anymore. Such as, I enjoy heavy weightlifting. But if you take powerlifting to a certain point, now you're just breaking your body down. Now your respiratory system's taking a hit. A lot of powerlifters can squat. I mean, there are there are powerlifters who can squat a thousand pounds, but they can't walk up several flights of stairs without huffing. Oh, and I, yeah, I, I I've written for the FTS for the last four or five years. I, I mean, I love the, this guy's death, but there's so many of the guys I've met brutally strong underneath the bar that you ask them to do a lunge, and like they'll tip over. Right. I mean, the most basic right. of movements. Of, you know, let's do some push-ups. Oh, I'll do it. No, I'll do the best 10 reps. 
Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, you know, in, a, in a gear bench, you're talking about seven or eight hundred pounds, and like, you know, bought yes, nope, overhead press, nope. Being able to pull yourself up on something, nope. I mean, you're 35, 36, you know, maybe, you know, late 30s, late 40s. I'm like, if you thought a head select in your 50, like, are you going to be able to walk? Are you going to be able to move? Are you going to be able to, you know, get up out of a chair without, you know, being in pain you came? Yeah. I think there's certain things we should always be able to do. Everyone should be able to run 50 yards without having to warm up before you do it. You know, a friend of mine was telling me he had a run after something and he basically blew out his ankle. <laughs> and I go, you know, that's that's not that's not good, man. It's not good that if if you have not to run knee, from something or run after something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point. It's like just basic human survival. Like that is okay, <laughs> fifty yards is not asking much because nine times out of ten if something's after you, that's probably the maximum distance you're probably gonna have to run before either it gives up or you can find somewhere to hide. But come on, man! You're gonna end up being that that chick in the in the horror movies. Five steps and you fall down. And it's just like, and now the, the killer's gonna get you. You don't want to be that chick, you know. So you don't want to be that person, man. Like, come on, fifty yards, man. You shouldn't be blowing anything out. I mean, come on, man. They're the only thing. Yeah, they're like, out, the only thing they're blowing out is their load, man. Because, you know, <laughs> but I mean, there's there's certain things you should be able to do. You should be able to pull your body weight over a bar, so you can climb over a fez. You can a run fence. away from a tree. <laughs> you know, you should be able to touch your you know. toes. You, know? you should be able to get. You should be able to sit down on a plane and get up from a plane seat without, without that using the armrest. <laughs> yeah, without using the armrest, without wiggling side to side, without all that grunting. I mean, forget the armrest. People, 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 be... people grab the seat in front oh, of them and use that as a lever. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, that, that, that's the key. You got, you got to heat yourself up. But uh, I mean, yeah, some of these things, it's like the, I call it, it's like the mobility sort of like fetishization. You know, like we've made, we've made basic movement sort of this like superlative skill. Um, right. I, right. Yeah, so I, I have a dance program, but my, my, my bachelor's, I have an art degree, uh, dance, choreography, human movement. Um, but, you know, I, I remember, you know, this year's FMS training, we, we had long, complicated warm-ups, you know, so to speak, where we'd be rolling around the floor for a half hour. We'd be, you know, ch- changing levels. We'd be, you know, doing multi-planar movements. And we didn't yeah. call it that. We, you know, we called it dance, essentially. It was modern dance. And it was just, it was part of the curriculum. You know, you need to be able to move through all ranges of motion. You know, in the fitness industry the last, you know, five, six years, I've seen this sort of arise of like, well, you know, it's, it's flow, this animal flow, or this, you know, this movement is, coaching, this yeah. culture movement. I'm movement like, coaching, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, they turn it, these things that you cool did, things you did to warm up, they turn into a certification now. You know, yeah, like, no, they're, they're charging yeah, thousands of dollars for something you can do. You know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's strange to see. And now I've seen people, you know, it's like, boy, you know, here's a guy rolling around the floor. Well, you can roll over his shoulder, you can roll back over. I'm like, oh, wow. Gosh, I've never seen it before. I'm like, You've never you've never lied on the floor and rolled. You never are like that. That cue is a difficult skill. You know, being able to like, get up without using your hands, or being able to, you know, being able to climb, swim, balance on the beam. I'm like, this is basic shit. This is, I mean, this is what little kids do. They <laughs> yeah, see a five, exactly. Doing this. Your kids are laughing. They're like, really? You adults? You're you're actually going to classes for this? It's like this is what I do they're, every they're day. They're laughing. They're <laughs> laughing now, but they're going to be right where the <laughs> adults are. They get They listen to that adult. Yeah, if they listen to that adult, they're going to end up being like that adult. Because that's usually the adult telling that kid, you know, stop moving around. Be quiet. Sit down. Be quiet. Stop moving around. You guys have too much energy. Like, wait, they're, they're six. They're supposed to. <laughs> you know, so. It, yeah, that's how I mean, motor coordination development. That's how, you know, that's how the brain develops. If you inhibit that in kids, you end up with a whole bunch of frail, physically, you know, probably hormonally screwed over, you know, teenagers, which is probably our current population right now. 
Yeah, or most of them. No doubt. No, but with mobility, I remember people would see Steve Maxwell's joint mobility stuff, which is great stuff. But anyone who's ever mm-hmm. done jujitsu before would say, yeah, we just do that before mm-hmm. every session. So yeah. anyone who's competed in any kind of athletic endeavor, it, pretty much every martial arts has some kind of joint mm-hmm. mobility warm-up before you get going. But people that have never experienced any of that stuff, joint mobility is so big right now. And I think it's great stuff, but people make it sound like it's a science in itself and that you need to go to a certification. It's like, look, I don't need to go to a certification to touch my toes or to do a forward <laughs> roll <laughs> or a backward roll. But these are things you can just work on and figure out. You're not going to get injured if you do it wrong. Uh, there's no right wrong with that kind of movement. I, I, had a, I had a buddy of mine, he's a sort of former competitive firelifter, and he was commenting on how you know, his, his glutes don't fire, and he was regretful that he, you know, neglected to sprint or run like the last year or how many years, which where one time he did and yeah, you know, like what, what you know, what what uh, you know, what is sprinting? You know, it's it's hip extension. Right. Yeah, you know, that that's pretty that's pretty basic. Yeah. If you decide to do away with that, you can find, you know, fitness into a single expression of strength or a single expression of this and like you're missing the point. You're 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 mistaking like the bark for the tree for the forest. Yeah. People get, like you said, people get distracted very easily. I, I always felt if the average person did pull-ups, push-ups, and sprinting, just those three things, they would be better off than 90% of people on the gym. Yeah, that'd be better than most, exactly, you know. So you can sit there and look at that guy like, oh, my God, he's bench pressing like 450 or 500 or whatever else. Yeah, but, yeah, but can that guy do a one pull-up? And you're that person that can do 10 pull-ups in a row. Why are you shortchanging yourself? You know, compared to that guy. First of all, why are you comparing yourself to that guy? <laughs> so it, it was always amazing yeah. to me. Like a lot of these big, strong guys that can't do one simple pull-up. I'm just like, yeah, you got all that mass and can't move it. And at the end of the day, you know, not to take anything from you, like, yeah, you're training hard, dude. You know, you know, good because most people don't. But at the same time, mm-hmm. don't get so fixated on that number and what you're doing. I think that that's, that's the end-all, be-all. Like, well, you know, I, I deadlift this, I bench press this, and I, and I squat this. Okay, but what else do you do in between all of that in order to keep those in order to keep yourself healthy enough to do those three things that you love so much? Because well, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Is what people realize. Someone like someone like Andrew Derniat, you know, he deadlifts six hundred pounds, he squats five hundred pounds easily, and he's an athlete. He can do pull ups all day long. He can do kettlebell sport those lifts for ten minutes. He has it all. So I think he's a very good example of being very very strong and also very well conditioned. And I think that's the most – I think always focusing – always have a, a component of health and whatever whatever you're doing is very crucial because otherwise it's easy to go into these extremes. Like you're hey, so people focused make on putting your one rep max. Yeah, exa- that's exactly right. That's a good way to yeah, phrase it's, it. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's mentality. Either, you know, either you have this or you have that. But I'm like you – know, but lifting with you – know, when, when people take that kind of dogmatic approach where they can only be good at one thing – yeah, my, my question oftentimes is like, are you are, are you competitive athlete at this? Or are you actually elite? <laughs> right. Are, are you <laughs> right. to do this, or are you just someone where, you know, for the sake of, you know, like you said, you know, they were talking about earlier social media, where, you know, well, yeah, I, you know, kind of powerlifting, like squat, that does not bench this much. Like your numbers are middling. Like so, you're a class one lifter. I'm like big big deal. You know, what's going to happen when you're 35, 45, you know, 50? Yeah, and it's, uh, the irony too is that it's entirely possible to have world-class strength to have world-class health, so to speak. It's not like it's yeah. a trade-off yeah. sort. Right. right, right. That's where, I mean, restoration has to be a strong component of stuff, recovery. I'm a big believer in getting recovery massages. I get it every week, and then I get chiropractic adjustments every other week. I go sit in the sauna, hot tub, spa once or, once or twice a month. 
make sure my sleep is optimal. So I'm lifting heavier now at 43 than when I was 23. So now it's more, I have a strong health component as well. In addition to the restoration, I go walking every day. And I don't go walking for fat loss or walking for some kind of performance benefit. I do it as a form of meditation, just getting outside, getting some fresh air, loosening up the body. And that's something you can do every day. So I feel people should exercise every day. And walking to me is daily exercise. And then very difficult strength training. That's something a couple times a week is really going to be the optimal number for most people. Yeah, I, I, I kind of follow like the old school, like classical bodybuilding strategy, which, you know, if you look at the guys, say, going back to the 1930s, 40s, um, you know, like Steve Reeves, Don Gromek, right. uh, you know, guys from that era where, you know, even, or even earlier, like physical culturists, uh, Archer Saxon, Eugene Sandow, you, know, you see this, they, they periodize their training, or we'd call periodizing some training. And they get very intuitively, and the irony is that it's very like modern science where, you know, someone like Steve Rees, who had a phenomenal physique and by even modern accounts is a very strong guy, yeah. he lifted, you know, high exertion, high intensity, three days a week. He walked the other four days out of the week. And, you know, he was very big on restoration and sleep and, you know, having a clean diet. This was in 1945, you know, 1947, 1950. You know, same thing with guys like Saxon, where they're, they're, they're capable, obviously, of these crazy feats of strength that still are not able, most, most people can't replicate what they did today. You know, yeah, I don't know if anyone no, actually ever, has ever been that strong again, but you actually read their training literature, you know, I mean, Sandow's got a whole book called, you know, Life is Movement, and it, it's, it's, it's insane to read because it's, he talks about, this is in like 19, uh, 1910, 19, I think 18, maybe when it was published. About how society has come, become slothful and become lazy and inactive. And he lays out this whole curriculum, so to speak, to restore health. And it basically boils down to what we just said. You lift three to four days a week with some intensity. You do something moderately exertional the other days. And then, you know, you have that restored component of diet, health, you know, mindset, mind state. And you should be healthy following that. And that was a hundred years no ago. No doubt. Yeah. yeah, and Steve Reeves was really big into power walking, deep Breathing, walking every single day. So there was always there was always a very strong component of health with what they did. He had a great physique, and people like John Grimmick's another example. Big fan of his. But these guys were also very healthy. They didn't just look good; they were healthy. And that kind of comes back to your point earlier about some of these fitness competitors. And I've had experience working with some of them because they suffer a serious adrenal fatigue after their competitions are over. Yeah. Where usually they start gaining weight like a balloon. I mean, they just. I've, I've met some of these ladies who competed where a couple months after their competition, you would never guess they even worked out, let alone competed right. at a high level. Oh, no, their, their health is never the same again for, I mean, I've had, I've had friends that have competed and clients that, you know, you know, former clients were, they were absolutely insistent on doing it. And, you know, two, three, you know, four years later, they, they still, they're not the same. Yeah, they, you know, it's, yeah. Been, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it, 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 dieting, especially for women, the, the idea that you're going to get down to this, extremely low level of body fat, like it causes all these biological, you know, maladaptations where right. you know, I call it the biological, you know, I call it the biological rebound effect. You know, yeah. you force your metabolism into this deprived state where you're still trying to maintain this really high output of exercise. And then, you know, the, the contest comes, it's over. What do you expect the living system to do? It's going to try to make sure that never happens again. So yeah, exactly. you're going to feel sluggish. <laughs> it's going to crash out your energy levels. It's going to downgrade your central nervous system. Yeah, you know, your your core, you know, your cortisol release and your adrenal, you know, your adrenaline release, you know, sex hormones. It's going to be all, you know, out of whack it's because your body's trying to prevent you from doing this again. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the unfortunate side effect, obviously, is 
get massive weight gain, your gym performance is the same. And after, you know, having that look of the body, you know, on stage for that one day, I mean, you're never going to look at that again. But it's a huge blow to ego, you know, aside from health factors. There's just... We we our our conceptions of what is what looks good and what's healthy are very skewed. So we often look at people in magazines, or the average person does rather, and they say, okay, this this is what healthy is. And some people can get to these levels of low body fat because of their genetic card, and they can be very healthy there. And then there's other people where you you can only get there for a day or two, and then you're just going to revert right back, not to where you were, but to a much more de- deteriorated state. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, if you just went half that. in that direction, you would have been fine, but you just took it too far. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong wanting to get leaner, obviously, but yeah, I mean, you have to. <laughs> you know, people need to be objective with themselves too, as well. That if you're, if you're someone that you you've been athlete, let's say the majority of your life, and you have lifted, and you're relatively, you know, lean for you know, your height, you know, BMI, body composition, yeah, it's conceivable that yes, you could, you know, do a competition or something, you know, something of that nature. If you're someone where you've never really worked out ever and you're in your late 20s, 30s, you know, what have you, and you're deciding that this is going to be the thing that's going to, you know, solve, I guess, so to speak, your lifestyle issues, probably not going to work out. No, that's absolutely correct. But you know what's funny is we're talking about this as if it's as if it's an epidemic. And the average person, you know, this is not a problem they have. <laughs> there isn't there isn't an epidemic of people that are just too focused on on health or, or on extreme physique competitions or trying to be as strong as possible. It's like, man, I got to tell my neighbor to stop deadlifting 800 pounds. He's gonna he's gonna blow out his back. <laughs> you know, I work out at a commercial gym, and believe me, I don't. It's not it's not. Ten guys benching 400 that I'm concerned about that are, that are in there. You're, I don't think I've ever seen anyone lift that much at the little gym I go to. It's it's more the it's more the opposite of even there. You're not focused. You're on your fucking phone the whole time. You're tweeting people. You're, you're not. You're you're. It's like there's no discipline anymore in anything. So you're not disciplined in the gym. You're not disciplined in your personal life. You're not disciplined in business. And you're going to have this extremely mediocre life to say the least as a result of that. So it's like discipline is a skill set that is quickly dissipating. Yeah, I mean, to s- sacrificing in a way is a skill set of sorts. You know, but not sacrificing okay. in the sense of I'm going to make a grand sacrifice for life. But when you when you commit to focusing on one thing, you sacrifice you know, the potential to do other things. Right. And you know, with I mean, with health now, people have this. You know, society has this fear of constantly missing out. You know, if they're not you know, wired into social media or wired into right. some sort of, you know, stimulus. But it makes doing anything that requires focus, I mean, almost fucking impossible. I I, I, I trained this morning, um, you know, for, you know, for this uh, for podcast. And, you know, so I, I was doing, I, I was there for an hour, trained back, did, you know, about 20 working sets. You know, in the time I was there, there was a group of you know, kids that were there. Or I, I should call them kids. Young guys, maybe, you know, let's just say early 20s. They took like an hour for four of them to do, I think, maybe three or four sets of dumbbell chest presses. <laughs> because every single one of them wanted to get pictures of them. Every single one of them. I, I, was blown out. I was watching this, and like, you know, I got like, I'm going through my sets, you know, 10 sets, 15 sets, 20 sets finishing up. They're still fucking there at the bench. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, for what? For Instagram? For Because you got to broadcast that? I'm like, and you, do you expect change to result out of this? <laughs> like, look how much bigger my chest is after this workout. <laughs> yeah, one workout, one workout. Yeah, I mean, cumulatively, it's probably maybe 
eight minutes of lifting. Maybe. I'm being generous. I, I see yeah, that I mean, kind of thing all the time. That That's a common occurrence. And also just doing too much of one thing. So, for example, I'll go in and do a full-body workout. I'm out the door, and other people are on their fifth chest exercise. It's like, what, the first four weren't enough? <laughs> Why wasn't the first <laughs> one enough? But you felt you had to do three more after that. Okay, your chest yeah, press, no, I, press flies, all that. It's like, wow. How many pecs do you have, man? It's like, well, are you a cow? I mean, how many, <laughs> how many are you going to work today? I mean, geez, dude. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, I think with, with a loss of focus, you come to a loss of purpose as well. So, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your way of being is to be distracted all the time, then you do try to attempt something that requires some concentration of thought. The idea of doing something with intention and you know, even like say working a muscle to actual, you know, positive failure and exhaustion, that's just not going to happen. You know, so you'll yeah. see people wander through the same repetitive movements over and over, just, you know, sort of this, this general lackadaisical, yeah, I don't even know what you call it, sort of like uh, being like a miss, you know, in the gym. But I mean, you see that too in people's daily lives as well, where, you know, they're, you know, you know, they're, you know that's always the joke as a kid, like you think we're saying earlier, like you think as a kid, adults have their shit together. You become an adult and you realize no one really knows what they're doing. They're kind of, you know, accidentally going through life and hoping things work out. Well, that's why I don't like the whole field of life coaching or whatever you want to call it, the Tony Robbins type stuff, because anyone who tries to convince you that they have the answers, that they have it all together, you want to run. I mean, well, actually, you, you, don't, you don't want to run because you might blow out your ankle. <laughs> but let's say, theoretically, <laughs> that if you were healthy, you would want to run. <laughs> so just walk away quickly. I don't want you to get injured. <laughs> but you watch, you watch something like Tony Robbins, his, event, his documentary on Netflix, right? And he's just humiliating people. Man, I don't know if you've seen it, Alexander, but he's just humiliating people, and people are getting off on that. Because they're getting attention from him. And I go, this is a real sad state of affairs right here where people are willing to humiliate themselves because it gives them some attention from others. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it. And like, I've, I've never been a Tony Robbins guy. The, you know, the, the, the motivational aspect of, you know, I've, I've seen some of the, I've seen, I've seen clips from, you know, seminars where, you know, everyone wants to, you know, everyone's, you know, stand up and shout, stand shout, and, you know, calling people up and like, I mean, it, it, it's sort of, I mean, you could say it's, it's a guruism kind of culture, so to speak, where you, you want to find that one person that's going to validate you and validate your life and tell you what you need to do. You know, and this, this is going to be the thing that solves, you know, all your problems for you. But, I mean, it's a, it's a very empty way to try and find solutions. Well, and also nearly 100% of the time, those people are going to take advantage of you because you're relinquishing so much trust to them that they basically realize that you're just a pawn. They can move you over the board wherever they want to take you. Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking power of your own life. Yeah, it's no different than just going in, buying one of those books, you know, at the bookstore or buying a DVD or whatever else. Here's the problem with all that, even whether it be some fitness show or some weight loss show or whatever else. Here's the difference. Here's the problem with all that. None of those folks know who you are. And, most of them don't give a damn who you are. They, they want to get as many people in as possible, get all of you to pay, and then get you the hell out of there in a few days and never deal with you again unless you're going to continue buying more of their programs after the fact. And, again, all they're going to do is still come with the same attitude. They still won't care. So none of this stuff is personalized. So, therefore, you're always going to leave these things unfulfilled because 
Tony wasn't really talking to you because you may have been that one person like, okay, I'm not going to let him humiliate. You, you, you'll be that person at the comedy show who doesn't want to be on the front row because you know that some <laughs> comedian is going to talk about you. you. You know you're sitting in the hot seat and you're spending the whole show. You can't even enjoy the comedy show because through the whole show, you're just hoping, man, I know he's going to start talking about people. Please don't let him look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. So you're one of those people that's Tony Robbins event. You're in the middle of the crowd. and It's about 10,000 people and you're sitting right smack in the middle. So you, in your mind, you're like, yeah, because I know it's going to be too hard for him to get to me and clown me in front of these 10,000 people. You know, whereas those people in the front row, it's like they love it because they get humiliated in life before they got there. They got humiliated by their boss, their managers, and everybody else at their job who probably actually paid for that or whatever else. So they're used to being humiliated. They get humiliated at home by their wife, you know, their children, hell, their dog. You know, so they, they, it's got to the point where it's normal. And it's like, you know what, at least if, I'm, if someone's going to sit here and make me feel like an asshole, you know, in life, at least I want to be someone famous. Okay, so at least I can say, well, you know what? <laughs> My wife talks a lot of shit about me, but damn it, she's no Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins, he talked crap about me, so that means I must be important if he took his time out of his busy life to treat me like shit. You know, so he, I must be something. Like, wow, dude, really? You just you you well, to be to be to fair to Tony to be fair to Tony he doesn't he doesn't pick people out of the audience you know people raise their hand and they say this is my problem <laughs> no, they, they want it they want it oh they yeah. want it that's what I'm saying that's the he's whole premise of everything I'm saying they want it he's he a well I'm kidding my experience just grabbing random people like okay what's your problem dude over here it's like why are you looking at me? <laughs> he doesn't is it's different than a comedy show but once someone raises their hand they say this is my problem and I'm not saying he does it to it's, everyone. But if you watch that documentary, you know what I'm talking about, where he has this one guy screaming like a lion, and and he's, he's, the, he's the way he's putting his hand on his neck as he's talking to him is very aggressive and controlling. And you get knocked the hell out, Tony. <laughs> so basically it becomes this sick form of, of clothed S&M shows. You know, that's all it is, man, just an S&M show with clothing on, because that's all it is. It's just like you basically you got this this person that wants to be dominated and, and treated like a slave and, and told what to do. You know, and, then, you know, you, they pick Tony to be their, their, their dominant, you know, and do what you want. Yes. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Pretty much the same. It's the same thing. So I'm just like, dude, if you're going to do it, at least go to a real S&M place and, and <laughs> you might actually get something out of it, you know, because when Tony's hey, done, you like, you'll, you'll get something out of it. <laughs> You'll get some venereal diseases out of it. Who knows? But you may have some scars that never go away. You know, <laughs> physical and emotional. <laughs> it's like, well, hell, you know, you're used to getting shit on metaphorically, so why not take it to the next step and have it done literally? You know, <laughs> this, is, this is the next level. <laughs> you can post about it on Instagram the next day. Exactly. So, but I think I think what it comes down to is that there's there are so many choices, right? And studies have shown, and I don't know how extensive these studies are. I hate saying just blanket statements such as studies have shown. Like I've read, like I've read these meticulous studies, but I've read that there are studies that show that if the more choices you have, the the more unhappy you're going to be with whatever choice you make. Because like you said earlier, Alexander, you're going to feel like you left something that may have been better on the table. So for example, you have eight women in your life. You got to pick one. You So you pick her. And then you go like, man, maybe that other one was better. <laughs> but if it comes down between two, that's a little bit easier. It's like, it's like, okay, it's either this or that. All right, I'm going to go with this. Okay, I'm good. So I think some people have this problem making a decision because there's so many options so that when someone comes along, like Sincere was saying, and makes decisions for you, they find that appealing because now they have shared responsibility. They can always blame the other or, person if things 
don't work out exactly. well. Exactly. If it, if it goes, yeah, I was about to say that. If it goes wrong, it's like, well, it wasn't me. It was Tony's problem. Yeah. Well, he Tony didn't, he didn't want to give me bad advice, which is, which is the whole <laughs> political climate. You know, when people, when they vote, that's why they, you know, get so, so jacked up when it's voting time. So therefore, they can get this candidate in that's going to make all these promises. And so therefore, if they don't come through with the promise, like, you said you were going to do this. Okay, but what have you done? I voted. And then what? So that's, well, come on, that's what, you know, I didn't have to do anything else. That's why we hire these guys. They work for me. Oh, uh, no, they don't. <laughs> they really don't work for you, dude. It's like he doesn't even know who you are. And you don't sign any of his paychecks. You know, you went in and put a piece of paper. Well, you don't use a piece of paper. Now, you went and punched some buttons on this little machine. You know, you were anonymous, if anything. Okay, you were a number, voting number. So, and but again, it gives them this right to blame someone else, you know, for the things they haven't done, even on the smallest level. I'm just like, come on, man. You want this guy to change the community, but what have you done in the community? You know, well, you know, I mind my own business. Okay, that's a start. <laughs> so, you know, well, people people I'll waste a lot of time on stuff too, right? Like we can talk about these protests. Now, I'm all for protesting. I think protesting serves a lot of purposes for many things. Like it's it's allowed a lot of social change. But sometimes protesting is just jerking off. And I think a lot of people that are engaged in protests because it makes them feel important. So I'm going to be angry about something because now I'm going to get attention for being angry. And it's like, well, why don't you have this passion for your own personal life? You know, improving your own life. So you'd say if you had, let's say there was another meme where it showed all these people at a soccer game and everyone's like cheering and enthusiastic. And, and, the, and then the, the saying was, if only people had this enthusiasm for things that matter. <laughs> well, yeah, just like, it was just like that post I put up about the Super Bowl. It was just like, you know, you know all that money that was spent on it, you know, billions of dollars, right. yet Flint's, the water in Flint is still, is still brown. You know, no one right. still put anything in that infrastructure to fix that water. And it's, what, three, four years later into this thing that, you know, that people have known about it, not saying that that's how long it's been going on, you know, that it was actually publicized. And yet, and still, that water's still not clean. Even someone asked me, like, well, I thought they fixed this. I said, yeah, that's called PR. Okay, and they, they said they've addressed that. I said, but come on, dude, you're talking about water that's been nasty for, like, probably well over a decade. You think it's just going to be, you know, in the last six months, all of a sudden they're going to change that system and that water's going to be clean automatically like that? I said, no, man. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. I said, and have you ever heard from anybody from Flint? You know, not the politicians, but the actual people who still have their kids have to go and walk, uh, you know, to certain centers to get, like, bottled water, and they get an allowance of how much water they get each week to bring back home. I said, you know what? Now you've got parts of America that's no different than a third-world country. I said, that's the same stuff that goes on in Africa walking miles just to get water and come back. And the water's the same color. But yet we're in America. I'm like, come on, man. But but everybody's worried about their team. Like, oh, my God, the greatest comeback ever. I'm like, yeah, too bad we're losing. <laughs> you know, as a nation, you know, <laughs> worrying about Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing, though. And I'm not saying don't enjoy things like that, because sometimes you need some of those things when it's, there's so much crap going on in the world, and, you know, you feel helpless sometimes, but sometimes you need that escape. But some people escape a lot. Some people are escaping so much like you were never captured. So why do you keep escaping things in life, you know? Come on, man. So it's just like, you know, picking those balance, finding that balance or whatever else. But some people, it's just, you know, hey, I don't want to think about those things. So, yeah, hey, Super Bowl. And now we got the All-Star game coming up. You know, it's just it's always something different, so they want to deal with those realities of life. So my thing is, why not both? People live in false reality, you know, for a lot of them. <laughs> you know, with, you know with social, it's like the social media flacticism. You know, I always like that term, but. Yeah, like with the you know the resistance, you know the oh yeah, the exactly. so, yeah, you can go out and be activism. angry. I imagine the three of us guys, like, guys, I'm so angry, I'm so pissed off. Let's all, let's all go be angry together. I'm like, why didn't you vote? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's one, you know, basic. Why don't you volunteer the community? Why don't you open a business? Why don't you employ these people that are you know are, are oppressed, so to speak? Why, right. why don't you start your right. own business? Why don't you do something yeah, exactly. that contributes to your betterment of the you know the world that you live in? 
you know, or you can pull up on your phone all these things to piss you off. You can go, you know, stand in the line, you know, scream and shout, you know, wear a pussy hat and what? <laughs> you know what? Like, well, what comes out of that? Yeah, exactly. You know what? What is what so is, here's what, a, what is the end you know goal? What that does? You, you know, you know who benefits from that? The people who designed the pussy hat because they just made some money. So now they, you've just contributed to the very thing that you're pissed off about. You know, you're trying to say there's too much greed and corruption and capitalism, but you just bought a pussy uh, yeah. hat. <laughs> so so yeah, you now you just contribute to the thing that you hats. Know. I'm, I'm going to capitalize on pussy hats right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, gonna sell 50, you know, of them. you know, it was so funny because. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's, there's a good chance that pussy's gonna fall apart. That pussy hat's gonna fall apart before it's all over with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're gonna have to go buy another one, so it works exactly. out <laughs> But it's just so, it's, it's just like TV is the quickest low energy way to escape boredom. Things like this are also distractions. Like you said, Alexander, it's like, okay, you're worried about people not working. Why don't you start a company and hire a bunch of people? It's like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. But what's easy <laughs> is for me to just walk out the door right now and just get together with a group of people, and I'm going to feel important, and we're all going to have this solidarity. Problem is, is where, does this, where is it all going? You know, what's the ultimate goal here? Well, something that's tangible is much different. Like, for example, Sincere and I are big fans of Project Child Save, right? There's an organization that mm-hmm. rescues kids that are sold into sex slavery. So I mean, we could talk about, he and I could just talk about this problem, like, oh, it's terrible that kids are in these situations, and we could talk about it, talk about it. Or we can have someone like Ty Ritter, our friend, come on the show, tell us what he needs, support a guy like that, donate to his organization, raise funds for his organization. And we did that, and as a result, last year, we helped save 161 kids. You know, Ty told us that it wouldn't have been possible without our support, donations, exposure, et cetera. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that is impactful in my opinion, that's the kind of stuff I want to be a part yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a real cost people are putting energy into that they have passion for that, you know, they'll, they'll see through. Um, you know, I, I have a friend of mine that she's a, she, she, she's a, she's a, she's a lawyer. She's a Muslim American woman, if you want to say it that way. Mm-hmm. And she started, you know, she started to put whole, uh, so it was last year, it was during the election. Her and I have completely different politics, but, you know, we're friends. And she, started, she's like, you know, she decided, she's like, you know what, I'm tired of bitching, complaining about this. I'm like, I'm just going to go, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to go start my own you know, political action committee, I'm going to go advocate for, you know, what my interests are. And I was like, yep, I, I've, I've, I've donated to her multiple times. Like, yeah, that's phenomenal. You actually you did something about what you felt was a problem. So you're you're taking action on it and you're seeing it through. You know, you're trying to actually yeah. create some effects on the world at large, you know, versus talking about something or, you know, getting the hit of, you know, getting sort of the emotional fixation or emotional high from protesting or, you know, tweeting something out or posting it on Facebook. Yeah, 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 bitching yeah, for yeah, likes is what I'm talking about. That's that's what I call it, bitching for likes. It's like if I bitch about it and I post about it and I get likes, then I feel like, yeah, I've done something now. They liked it. Okay, but guess what? The problem's still there. Come on. Now, those likes didn't do anything to solve that problem. Unless you said for every like that I get for this, I'm going <laughs> to donate a dollar per like to this organization. you know. And then, you know, hey, this so-and-so's company, why don't you match that? Match whatever I donate. Now those likes actually mean something. Okay, so that's the only time those things really. But then, really like, why couldn't why couldn't you make the donation without getting those likes? Why do you have to make a big production out of making this donation? It's like if I get a thousand likes, I'm going to donate a thousand bucks. I said, why why can't you just donate the thousand bucks regardless of which you get one like, you know, or a thousand likes? I mean, you need to do so. Yeah, like I want to make sure everyone knows I'm doing this. Kind of falls back to that. It's like, well, if it's important. 
doesn't matter if anyone knows. Like the only point, the only reason I talk about this stuff publicly is because I'm trying to get other people to do stuff. I'm already doing. I already know what I'm doing. I'm already doing my right. part. And I don't need a pat on the back to keep doing what I'm doing. But I want to make other people aware. And if, if they don't want to do anything, that's their choice. So I'm just bringing people's awareness in. I think I think another problem people have is that like why can't you have a Good discussion with someone with opposing views, right? Why does that have to become? Thank you. That right there. You You want to get into a fist fight because you have different political views. Just have a dialogue, man. You know, have a have a respectful dialogue back and forth. Like Joe Rogan was talking about this whole "let's go punch a Nazi" trend. Okay. That's just go find, you know. But here's walk the thing. Up, but when they're not, but when they're not, when it's back, it's a hate crime. But when you punch yeah, the Nazi, yeah. it's like you're doing it out of love for everyone else. I'm like, you sound just as twisted as the Nazi. Okay, so it's still, it's random violence when you do that. But you got a problem against random violence and everything you're standing yeah. against. So my thing is just ask, like, how about mm-hmm. this? When you have these discussions, also don't talk to you, to be heard and to get your point of view out there. Why not? Spend most of that discussion asking questions like, dude, what is it that you want? You know, what is it that what, what is it that you need and, wh- you know, and why? I start there. And that's where the discussion really starts. But most people are talking just like, you know, I'm pissed off about this. And nah, 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 forget what you're saying. That's not a discussion, dude. Or, or they <laughs> have that's- you to agree with them, right? It's like the conversation is not yeah. over until you really you agree with me. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> until, until I'm right. Until I, I write in your yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of the polarization of society where, People, we hit a point where we're thinking as a whole, where rather than say, you know what, you know, you, you think differently from me, like that of in itself to have someone think differently from you is like an affrontation to your reality. But then even yeah. beyond that, it's not just the case where, yes, we share different views, but well, you what you think has to be evil. You know, we ha- it has to be demonized in some way because then if it's demonized, then I don't have to think about it. I don't have to come to understand right. it, and then I can label everything that you say, think, do, speak, breathe as being atrocious and wrong, and I can marginalize your whole group. And, and then the irony to that, of course, is when you're talking about wanting to be, you know, inclusive or, you know, have diversity, but then you're practicing this marginalization and identity politics right back at people. So the very right. thing that you are trying to champion against, you are perpetuating upon, you know, society at large. Right. So you want you want diversity, day, but you want everyone to agree with each other. So like, we, we're, on, we respect want, everyone's beliefs as long Europe, as they agree Europe. with us. Exactly. You know, and at the end of the day, when you have this discussion, which you nine times out of ten, which you'll realize that both of you are not as different as you thought. You pretty much wanted the same thing, but you dressed it up differently. You know, and or on the flip side, that a lot of times those thoughts that you thought were yours weren't yours in the first place. When you start thinking about, it, you're like, wait a minute. Then you have to question yourself, like, okay, do I really feel this way about this, or have I been programmed to think this way? And and then that's when things start really opening up for people. You know, so I always sorry, I always ask people like, okay, is that are those your thoughts or are those your parents' thoughts or your teacher or whoever? What other major influence in your life was that them talking or was that you talking? And you know, and that was the whole premise of even going to some place like going to college. You know, in the very beginning, it's like that's where you go to college. You go to college so you can actually now do your best to think for yourself. Now, your parents were you know, out of the way and these teachers, you know, pretty much out of the way, and and you would hope that these professors would provoke thought and not try to implement their philosophy upon you which that's starting to change now. So I'm like, well, you know, what's going on here? So, of course, you can't get pissed off when you start seeing, you can't be surprised when you start seeing this, this mob of people, you know, just react in a certain way to this certain thing when they've been programmed to be that way from, kit, from preschool all the way through a four-year university now. Like, come on, that's a lot well, of years look, of look, college, college, college is the lamest place to go 
to have a good discussion with a variety of groups. Exactly. I mean, was, it's like, go travel yeah, abroad. How about that? And talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it's all just, all just here's why, though. You know, like that's, yeah, yeah, it's because that's, of that's the political correctness. No, man, because yeah, when well, I went well, to college in 1993, right, I graduated in 96, one of the first courses I had to take, it was a requirement, was on political correctness. And I've never even heard of what a political correctness huh. before. <laughs> so here I am learning that I've been a racist my whole life, you know, <laughs> because this is the way you have to talk. They're like, they're not black people, they're African-Americans. I was like, well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and around a lot of black people, and I've never heard them refer to each other as African-Americans, ever. <laughs> You're talking about a phrase, a phrase that's only been around since Jesse Jackson ran for president back in 1988. <laughs> exactly. Okay, okay, come on, man. The Glock has been around longer than the, Af- the phrase african America. Okay. <laughs> if you walk into a group of women in call, you can't call them girls because they're adult. They're they're over eighteen, so they're women, right? It was a lot of stupid <laughs> stuff like this, right? But what if you're in Texas and they call them gals? What does that fall into? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you look at intent behind words rather than just blanket words. You can you can be politically correct and still be extremely racist. You're just using political correct language. I mean, the whole thing exactly. is so stupid. It's like you're just trying to change semantics as if that's going to have some deep fundamental change, which it clearly doesn't. But now college – and this is this was just the beginning of this whole political correctness nonsense. Now it's gotten to the point where comedians don't even want to perform at colleges because students get so offended by anything they say that they well, get – they're basically exactly. chased off campus with a well, – Well, they don't even get a chance to speak like you know what happened at Berkeley you know, last week or whatever. It's just like you know, Milo didn't even get a chance to speak, and I was already rising or whatever because of what he said before. I'm like – I thought the whole point of college is like, okay, you get these – you know, different opinions. So therefore, you know, you can spark a discussion. Now you don't even want the discussion to even start. You know, you just want to be pissed. You don't want to have the opportunity to actually have to change your mind or even have to think about the way you feel. Plus, I'm like, he that's was the not even accurate. He's 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 a gay man and Jewish. You know, he's a gay Jewish conservative. You know, foreigner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like, like, yeah that sounds like, like an interesting combination. Liberal with this guy. You know? <laughs> Three out of four of those things make them very liberal. He makes them just like the people that you actually want to support. I, I don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> you guys, the Hitler type figure. I was like, come on, <laughs> folks. Come on, man. And you know, it's. it's but again, because he does, because of one thing about him does not, you know, doesn't necessarily reflect who you feel like you are. You know, he's he's like this this right wing conservative. I'm like, yeah, but what about the whole gay, foreign, you know, what about all those things? You know, so it's just like, well, come on, I mean, man, you don't, big, the the you don't have to like the guy. You don't have to like the, the guy. You know, <laughs> the big problem with political correctness is is you're you're encouraging people to be victims, and even if they're not victims, to create situations where they are victims. So now someone who's never experienced racism is going, oh, okay, I didn't realize that I've experienced racism before until I took this class. I was like, well, if you have to take a class to learn that you've experienced racism, then you haven't experienced racism, all right? Let's all compete to see who can be more oppressed, you know, who can be right. you know, oh, more right. taken advantage of, and yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, like, I, so I went to school in San Francisco. I went to school in San Francisco, obviously super liberal. But, yeah, well, I remember when I was in college, you know, it was, it was, it's funny to think about now because this was back when, you know, um, Obama got elected, which we were all very elated about. But I remember taking classes and, you know, having to take, you know, these, you know, some classes bullshit. You know, you got stuff like gender studies. You got teachers there, very, like, being literally open, openly communist. You know, like, they're actually, like, registered communist party. And they're preaching about, you know, how, you know, uh, you know, how, you know, the systemic racism and systemic, you know, patriarchy and how everything, everyone 
is right. oppressed. Yeah, right. and first it started out with like, okay, it started out like the white men were the problem. It's because the white men who, you know, despite building the society that we live in, despite, you know, the history of this country, like it's all the white men the problem. And then it became just, you know, men were the problem. And then it became, <laughs> you know, then, then it's like you're a heterosexual black man. So, well, you're, you're oppressive too. It's also your fault for all the problems <laughs> in the world. And then this started extending out to like everything. Like right now it's like the, you know, every group within, you know, like, you know, women's rights feminism. Are you, well, are you, are you a white feminist or are you a gay trans feminist? Because if you're a gay trans feminist, you're more of a victim than the white feminist was. You know, are you a heterosexual, you know, black feminist? Well, you're, you're, you're less of a victim than the, than the, the, the non-gender binary lesbian black feminist. So, you know, you, you need, you need to sit down and let this one talk. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, how crazy can you keep, how crazy can you keep making it? Yeah, I can, I can keep making up classifications of people practicing more identity politics to further divide people from being able to have a conversation with each other. Right. And then, you know, at the point, like, when is then? I, I don't know. Well, you you make people, you, you're forcing people to use these language limitations where now you're so busy walking on eggshells that there is no communication anymore. No, no, I, you I, don't I, even know I, how to communicate, but just like, you know, just like Alexander just broke down all those different categories. It's like, it gets to the point now, just like, you know, there was a point where, okay, you had LGBT. And now there's like five other letters, you know, after that. Now I'm just, I'm so confused. I'm like, okay, what, what are these extra, what are all these letters? It's like pretty soon it's going to be all 26 letters of the alphabet, you know, because everybody's wanting like, oh, and recognize me and recognize me because I feel this way or I identify as this, I identify as that. I'm like, and, but then at the same time, so many people are saying that, you know, this country is more divided than ever, but they're saying that as if they're not perpetuating the same thing, you know, with all these different categories, all these labels. It's just like, come on, man. It's just, it's getting to the point where it's getting to, you don't even know who you're fighting for anymore. You know, like, cause everybody's like, well, what about my group? What about my group? And it's like, at the end of the day, <laughs> pretty much all the, you can create all these labels that you want, but nine times out of 10, it's like, okay, the ones who have the most power, the most greed, the most money or whatever else, they're sitting back, they're laughing at all this because you're not even talking about them because you don't even know who they are. You haven't seen these people. You never will see these people. They're very good at what they do. They're sitting in the shadows and creating all this chaos. And letting all the letting the inmates go at it with each other while they all capitalize on those things. So my thing is take a step back and you know quit being so focused on just you. And just again go back to what I was saying before. Ask this other person, hey man, what's going on with you? What do you need? What's what's happening in your community? You know, instead of just trying to assume, well, you know what, you need to just let it go. Stop talking about it so much. You know, you need to just move on. <laughs> That's like most, one of the most condescending like replies ever to any culture or any group of people there is. You know, it's like, you know what? You need to just get over it. It's like, you're here now. You know, things are good. Well, obviously, maybe not. Look around. We're having this discussion. Obviously, everything's not good. If everything is all good, we probably wouldn't have to talk about this. We wouldn't be debating about this. So, again, it's, it's about asking the questions and quit just worrying so much about yourself. You know, and, and pretty much feel like you're losing something or there's someone having a scarcity mentality, you know, in the wrong places, you know, like, come on. Uh, that's a good so thing. It, it, creates, it creates this, this uh, it creates this sentiment of selfishness that my, <laughs> my problems and needs are more important than yours. Yeah, you know, like, right. Like, if I discount your experience where you, you, well, you need to go over your needs, you know, my needs matter more than yours. I'm more victim than you. I'm not allowing you to express yourself as a human being because I'm, I'm telling you that we can't have a dialogue because your experience with your life is less important than mine. So I, I have exactly. more value than you do, and you're, you're going to be quiet about it. Exactly. You got to really. It's more like looking at that person, like, well, man, if you're going through this, you know, I may not be feeling that right now, but 
eventually it is going to come back to me because I'm here too. You know, looking at it that way, it's like, okay, this is another injustice. You know, just the one is going to be injustice to everyone. Okay. It's just not a, it's just not a cute little meme. It's true. You know, no matter what. So even when, like Mike and I talked about on this, um, the subscription episode, you know, the whole feminism thing is like, you got to ask yourself, like, okay, you're not getting equal pay. I and mean, you're thinking like, you know, that's one of the main talking points. And, you know, that's what you're fighting for. But don't all, you know, don't discount also that, you know, you got going over, it may not be happening here in America, but there are women overseas who are being beheaded and stoned because they got raped. You know, you want to talk mm-hmm. about over here, you know, you want to talk about, like Mike was talking about, talking about, you know, fat shaming and all that over here in, in America. And that's a big issue. And everybody's all, you know, in the hoopla over his post, you know, on Facebook talking about that. But then you get mad about, you know, when people say that, you know, there's victim shaming when you try to tell a woman that, oh, well, you shouldn't have worn that, then she wouldn't get raped. Okay, well, first of all, just teach your son not to rape people. Don't don't even go there. But at the same time, you're getting mad about someone saying that, but you don't get mad about women in the Middle East who get raped and then they're stoned for it, you know, or they can't leave the house unless a male says so, even their own child. You know, it could be their six-year-old son, and if he says mom can't leave the house, she can't leave the house. Otherwise, she may get stoned, fined, imprisoned, or whatever else. Why are you not pissed off about that if you're all about female empowerment? You know, so again, you know it has to go beyond your, your some of these Western problems that are going on. So it, why can't it be feminism as a whole, not just this one thing that's going on right there? What about the women in Standing Rock right now? Why are you not marching with them? You know, so you know, that's is that not a problem? Do, or do does their life not matter to you too? They're they're well, women. Well, you have to think about the real problems that you know society faces, the world faces at large. You, you don't want to have to think about that because it's, it's an uncomfortable thing. You know, if I tell you yeah. like I, I'm, I'll say outright like I, no, I don't believe in gender wage gap just because for a variety of statistics to get abused and manipulated. But if you talk, you know, in the United States, well, I, I think I, I make less money. I'm like, I don't think you really do. Well, this, you know, this is wrong. This is systemic. I'm like, you know, there's, there's great problems in the world at large. Or, you know, if you're really passionate about womanhood and people, why don't you actually do something about where women actually need help? Because that does exist in the world. There are places, like you just right. said, where you have, you know, women that get stoned. You have female genital mutilation. You got, you know, you got, yeah. you got girls getting literally getting like their clips cut off. Like that's, that's pretty, that, that in my mind, like that's fucked up. That's a society that, yes, yeah, truly, truly that is a society that has oppressed women. And is you know abusing people. Right. Why is that? Well, you're standing. You're standing up for Planned Parenthood, but you're dis, you're discounting the women who are getting the clits cut off. I'm like, okay, where's the where's the difference? You know, why are you acting like that's not happening? Or that's too extreme for you know. A lot of times, it's too extreme for them to think about. Like, I can't believe that's happening. Well, it's happening. Just because you can't, yes, you don't believe it doesn't doesn't mean it's not so. You know, just because it may not be happening in your own backyard, you know, d- doesn't mean that it's not so. So my thing is, what can you do about it? Out of all the millions and millions and millions of women that marched with it, I have to ask, like, okay, we're talking about a wage gap. How many of you women are out there creating jobs? You know, how many of you, you know, starting your own businesses? You know, because there are. Going to be look at the statistics about it. There are a lot more opportunities for small businesses for women, you know, who are getting loans and small business loans and all these opportunities, grants and everything else. You know, statistically, they're getting a lot more of those opportunities than anyone else. Take that yeah. opportunity. Take that opportunity and create create those jobs for women and close that gap. Quit. Tr- Quit trying to look for a seat at the table. Build your own fucking table. You know, how about that? And then people have to come to you for a seat. That's my thing. It's like, why, why do you continue to want to sit somewhere where you're not wanted? 
You know, that's that's the uh-huh. thing that always gets me. It's like, no, you know what? Here's the thing about, you know, here's the one thing about capitalism. Here's the one thing about being an entrepreneur or whatever. A lot of these things were created because there was a need, there was a gap, there was there was a space that needed to be filled. There was a problem that needed to be solved. You know, the, and the thing is, when there was a problem, no one went to the person that created the problem like, hey, you're creating a problem. I want you to change the problem. Like, no, it's just like, you know what? F this, man. I'm going to fix this myself. Somebody, you want to get something done, do it yourself. Ah, how about that? So my thing is, you know, quit begging for a place at the fucking table. You know, a lot of times they're serving crap anyway. You don't want to eat that stuff in the first place. <laughs> you know, so like I said, man, just create it yourself. Really go out there. There's enough women out of all those women. You know how many they actually, instead of just marching, like actually got together, like, look, hey, and I'm pretty sure there's some that did this. I would hope so. But just think of the majority of them, just even a third of everyone in every city and all those marches got together. Like, you know what? We're going to create our own, just like you were talking about your friend. I'm going to create my own super PAC. You know, look, you're a lawyer. You're a doctor. You know, look, we can we can fight things as far as like civil rights and health care and all that, because we're already in the system. We're already in the game. So let's put our heads together. And this is what we're going to do. You create your own organization, get your own super PAC, because that's where the money comes from. You know, that's when politics is power, when you got your dollars backing it up. That's the reason why so many people get screwed politically, because they didn't have any real skin in the game. Your vote wasn't enough. You got to vote with those dollars. Sometimes you got to create those votes. And so if enough people are talking, those politicians have to listen, you know, because at the end of the day, they don't want to lose that cushy job. So if enough of the constituents are talking and they actually have the power and, you know, money to back it up, yo, they're going to listen. They're going to listen to you and they're going to make those changes. Yeah, you know, but marching is not going to do anything because they're, they're sitting inside. You're marching. They're inside. And they, they're watching on, on, on the news. And then it's like, oh, you know, okay. And guess what? They know that you're going to march that day. And a couple of days later, they're not going to hear from you again. So all they have to do is just wait it out. <laughs> that's it. So my thing is, what happens after you stop marching? So that's the one thing. Because trust me, it's, yeah, yeah, it worked very well during the 60s and all that, you know, during the civil rights movement and all that. But trust me, it wasn't just the marching that made those things happen, people. It wasn't just about marching. That's what you saw. That's what was presented to you on television. Well, but it was all the stuff that was going on back Yeah, exactly. So whatever, what happened behind the scenes is what really made those things happen. And there were some things that were kind of over your pay, you know, beyond your pay grade that made those things mm-hmm. happen. <laughs> you know, that won't be talked about. So... Again, you got to create that, that that power structure that you want so badly and not wait for the handout and someone to do it for you. So, again, if you want it, you got to go do it yourself. It's really that. Yeah, well, that, you know, that, that was Dr. King's strategy, what you're talking about right now. You know, if you, if you yeah. want to affect change, you have to follow the money. You know, with his marching, he, what we remember is that, he, you know, obviously he was a very eloquent speaker. He was a radio. He, was pro, you know, he loved these protests. What, what got him to change was the fact that he was able to challenge the Constitution in regards to interstate commerce. I think we got, it was one, you know, one of the amendments, and he caused it to go to the Supreme Court, and it became an issue not of, well, this is civil rights, it was an issue of, you know what, are we inhibiting, you know, essentially the flow of money? Are we inhibiting people's right to work? Are we inhibiting, you know, our financial livelihood? Okay, now, you know what, now this is the problem. Yeah, now you're getting their attention. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he knew that. He, that. he was obviously a brilliant man. He knew that. He knew that just standing there and saying that we have been wrong was not going to be enough. You know, so he did something beyond that. Let's take it to the heart of the system and say, you know, we can be an asset. This is an issue. This is a problem. Let's make it a problem that has to be addressed. And then something actually, some, something real will come out of it. There'll be actual positive exactly. effect that's measurable. And the beauty of that was also to get the attention of places outside of America. So all the people that America was doing business with, 
they're looking like, okay, do you want do you want to associate yourself with a country that's doing it this to their own people? So yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a it was a double it was a double threat right there for them, you know, for him to do all the marching and it's being televised or whatever else. So now these other countries are like, hey man, I don't know if we can, you know, I know America, you you have all these opportunities and you have all this money, whatever, but. At the same time, you're making us look bad. It's like you're doing things that we do to our own people, and <laughs> so it's just kind of like, hey, man, it's just like gimmick infringement <laughs> for for some of these countries, man. <laughs> and then all these other countries that want to seem like they're so much better, you know, so much more proper than the U.S. It's like, well, you know, we won't be able to associate with you as well. But then, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, it, when it, it all comes down to the dollar, no matter how you're looking at this, and that's what that's what motivates these people to move. So my thing is. Up your game as far as your dollars, man. You know, collectively get together and uh-huh. put your heads together. Like, hey, this is this is how you shake things up. Money talks. You know, man, that's the whole thing with that whole Montgomery, you know, the bus boycott. It wasn't uh-huh. that Rosa Parks was. Rosa Parks wasn't the first one that said no. You know, there, there were many more, you know, who also said no that you'll never hear about, you know, before her. But, and trust me, this was something that was planned. It was planned. It was staged. And it was great that it was staged. You know, but yeah. then it finally... And when they start hitting them in their pockets, that's when, you know, okay, we're going to integrate these buses, man, because um, our revenue is going down. They're not taking their – they would rather walk miles upon miles than pay us. They're serious. They've done this for over a year. Okay, this is not some temporary thing. See, that's the thing about protesting. It's like you got to see – if you're going to protest, you got to go in for the long haul. It's not something you do on a weekend the day after inauguration just to prove a point. Like, okay, first of all, you can protest him being president, but it's too late. He's president. Okay, you should have been protesting before November the 9th. Okay, those marches should have happened like that before November the ninth, long mm-hmm. before that. You know, so now you're you're. This is a reactionary thing you're doing right now. So don't be reactionary. Be responsive. So actually, okay, what are you going to do now? What are you prepared to do? This has happened already. You've had about two months to know this was going to go down. So what have you done since November ninth to get ready for this? Other than a march the day after inauguration. Okay, so he's been grabbing pussies and everything else long before this. Okay, so, yeah, <laughs> so it wasn't like he just started grabbing pussies on January 21st, you know, the day uh-huh. after. <laughs> He's been doing this, so now you should have been wearing your pussy hat, you know, for decades now. <laughs> so, come on. Well, you know, even the whole grabbing pussy statement is really dumb if, if we want to get pedantic about it, right? Like, he said his exact words were, I could do that if I wanted to. He didn't say, I do do that, and I have a history of doing that. So, I mean, if you're going to criticize him, at least criticize him for something he said he's done or something he's actually been caught doing, not something he said that he could do because of circumstances. Now, there's a lot of things people say here's they my, could Here's do. my thing. The bias is, if you don't like the guy, you just don't like him. Don't come up. Don't pick and choose things because the same people that are pissed off that he would say he could have grabbed the pussy are still the people that love and revere Bill Clinton, who was pretty much a... a the biggest sleaze ever in office. He was putting cigars in life. the pussy. He wasn't grabbing it. He was exactly. putting a cigar in there. <laughs> I'm offended by it because I love cigars. I think, like, dude, you're wasting a good cigar? And that's not out of ten because you're the president. It was probably a Cuban cigar, which no one else could get at that time. And, you know, first of all, you weren't even supposed to have that. That's an illegal cigar that you're putting in this girl's pussy, man. Come on. You know, but everyone loves him. You know, I wish he could have ran a third term. And at the same time, his wife stood by and stood right by his side uh-huh. the entire time. So, therefore, how is this woman for women's rights when she could sit there and look the other way for her own political gain when her husband is sitting here praying upon all these women, and, you know, for, for decades? 
So I'm like, you got to ask yourself, like, these are the people you had. So why are you so pissed off at him but not pissed off at her? They're two of the same kind. So my thing is, but yet all the other ones just like, come on, man. So, again, it comes down to, okay, if you just don't like him, don't like him. You know, that's that's all there's to it. But don't sit there and say these are the reasons why I don't like him when the person that you loved was also just as guilty of those same things. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, it's it's exactly. You're gonna say you're you're on your own beliefs. You're, you're you're inconsistent with your with your own protest. Right. You're picking right. and choosing. <laughs> yeah. You you go, exactly. I don't like it in this circumstance, but it didn't over look here the way that okay. you wanted to look. You know, it didn't look the way you wanted to look. Then why did the, why didn't you vote for Bernie? Bernie then he wasn't grabbing anybody's pussy. He wasn't sticking cigars <laughs> in his pussy. So come on. Not that we know. <laughs> not that we know of anyway. Not that we know of. Not that we want to know of Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's a lot easier to complain about stuff than it is to actually do anything about it. And this is something Alexander tweets a lot about. I do as well. It's just one of those reoccurring themes that's always relevant. Because let's say let's say you're being discriminated against at a certain workplace. Why are you working? Why would you even want to work there? Forget about why you're working there. Is that the only job in the world you can do? You know, go start your own thing. If you want to get paid what you're genuinely worth, you have to start your own thing. Well, here's another Otherwise, thing about it's that always whole, going to be arbitrary. It's going to be someone else deciding. Oh. There's nothing about that wage gap thing. A lot of times that comes down to you didn't ask. You never said what you were worth because, honestly, you probably didn't think you were worth that until all of a sudden it's like, oh, so-and-so's making this. And you're like, wait a minute, he's making that? But I've, I've been here this long. But, yeah, so-and-so also asked for that amount when he went in. Did you ever ask? Yeah, he also got promoted. Well, no. Well, no. It's like, it's like if you know what you're worth, then fucking let them know that's what you're worth. And if they, you know, it always goes, it goes back to like that movie Jungle Fever, where Wesley Snipes at the architect firm that he was working for. You know, he had been with that company since the very beginning. They had promised him partner. You know, and they kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off for you know for years. And then it just got he he brought in all the clients. Most of the, their big paying clients or whatever else. And then he got to the point, he's like, okay, I want to talk about, you know, getting my name on on that, that mask out there, you know, being a partner. And they, again, they put him off. Well, not right now. He's like, look, I did this. I brought this in. I brought this in. I know what I'm worth or whatever else. And they were like, yeah, of course, but, you know, we just need more time. He's like, no, we're out of time. He's like, I'm leaving. And they wait a minute. What are you doing? What do you mean you're leaving? He's like, I'm out. Since you don't value who I am, then I have no place here at this company anymore. And then he, he left and started his own thing because he knew what he was worth. So it's not that for, he just didn't go with his discrimination it's because, oh, you know, because you hate black people, blah, blah. He didn't have to do all that. It's just like, I know what I'm worth. I'm out of here. You know, you can learn a lot from that. It's like, if you know what you're worth, then damn it, go do it. And here's the beauty about working for yourself. Look, man, you don't have to wait once a year to try to get a 1%, 2% raise. You can get a raise next month with your next client if you want to. Raise your prices. You know, that's the beauty of being, you know, on your own. Now, trust me, there are going to be people listening to this saying, like, you know, not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. I get that. And to some point, I do agree with that because some people, you know, it's just it's so funny because some people who feel like they can be an entrepreneur a lot. Pretty much they're kind of, they're, they're shooting kind of far right there. Like, yeah, you may have, some people are good at being, you know, the second in command, you know, and they, and they know that. But my thing is when you're second in command, know that you're the best damn second in command that that person will ever get and have them treat you as such and demand as such. Because trust me, if they're any, if they're a good business owner and they'll recognize how good you are and they wouldn't want to lose you. So it's like, come on, man. It's like, he wants to, you know, this dude deserves this amount of money, money to get paid to do what he's doing. Because, A, it's making your life easier as the, as the entrepreneur. So my thing is, you want to take care of that person. 
Any good entrepreneur, any business owner, good business owner is going to think like, you know what, I'm taking care. He's a great employee. I don't want to lose this dude to my competition or anyone else. I'm going to find ways to take care of him. But the thing is, if he doesn't know how good he is, then why bother? You know, yeah, so you got to see value, see value in yourself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A closed you mouth get... never gets fed, man. I always remember that. Huh. A closed mouth never gets fed. It's just that easy, unless you get an IVs. It's always enough if you don't ask. It's always enough if you don't ask, and if you don't take ownership over the, you know, the value of the work that you do, what do you expect to happen? The, the world will always take advantage of people who don't speak up for themselves. Oh, That's yeah. just the nature of the game. That's how it goes. Yeah, I, I, the Bible of the fittest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd have a, I have a lot of young guys follow me in like the early 20s and teens. And they, you know, I talk about entrepreneurship. And no, I don't expect everybody where, oh, yeah, you're going to go start nine businesses and be a millionaire by your 30. But we live in a society now where the value of a college degree has gone down. It's more competitive to get any job regardless of field. You have to cultivate certain skill sets and take full ownership, take full responsibility for whether you're going to be able to support yourself. And, that yeah, that does come down to learning some business skills. It does come down to being able to communicate your value and being able to speak in these different scenarios and situations. It does come, out, come down to being able to market yourself and understanding how these dynamics take place. They can't just be that you go in and, oh, thank you for giving me my job. I'm going to do such a good job for you. And then you never speak up again. Because the reality right. is even if you do get that job, you're going to be used up and spit out by somebody. And you know, they might not even do it intentionally. But if you're just approaching it from a position of, you know, like you know, almost, you know, almost a victimhood where it's like, oh, thank you. Thank you for my handout. Thank you. I'm like, you're never going to be in control of your own life. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't make yourself indispensable, you're going to be dispensable. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And that's the same thing as an entrepreneur as well. If, you, if you're not bringing something to the table that's valuable, then don't complain when your business goes under. Don't complain. If, you're not, if you don't want to learn marketing and promotion and take charge of these things, a lot of entrepreneurs are always waiting for someone to come along and save their sinking ship too. And it's like, no, we're just going to let that, we're going to let that ship sink where it belongs. You're not taking, because you don't care. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, well, if, if you're, I, I see that a lot in like the fitness field where, you know, people, it's like, you know, it's like waiting for the clients to show up. You know, right, oh, I can't right. wait. I got, I got certified. You know, I want, I want the jump. And then, you know, okay, well, what are you doing about your business? Uh, you know, I, I sit in my, you know, I've worked for a lot of small business, you know, gyms. I'm like, well, I sit in the gym all day and, you know, I post on Facebook. I'm like, are you in front of people actually meeting people? Are you cultivating the community? Are, are you going, are you going to where the people are? Yeah. It doesn't matter what business you're in. It could be a gym business, music, bartending, whatever. Are you putting yourself in a situation where you're surrounded by people that potentially will, you know, buy your product or invest in it or take an interest in what you have that will help, you know, grow what you're trying to grow? No, it's just you say you're you're at your your plan, so to speak, is hope marketing. You're 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 planning on hope. Hope is a shitty, shitty plan. <laughs> you're never gonna get you're never gonna you're never gonna have your expectations fulfilled that way. Yeah, you know, but you see this across multiple fields. So yeah, with entrepreneurship, what, what, am, what am I really telling you to do? What are we telling you to do? We're telling you to take this responsibility, you know, fully. Yeah, you know, I say this a lot, but everything is your fault. Everything's your right. fault that happens right. to you. And that's either right. the worst thing that's ever happened to you, or it's the best thing. If it's the worst thing, it means that you don't want to have to take charge of anything. If it's the best, then that means for you that you understand the reality is that everything in your life happens because of you. Henceforth, you are in control of all of it. And that gives you pretty much yeah. infinite power to do whatever the hell you want. You, you well, it'll, it'll, it allows you to learn from mistakes too, right? Because if you're always relinquishing fault to someone else, you're not taking responsibility, you're not learning from the mistakes. A lot of times, 
that's going to be 100% accurate. Like this didn't show up on this time. It's like, well, you didn't order it early enough. You should have, if, if it were that important, you should have ordered it way before instead of leaving it to the last minute and just hoping that everything falls in line. Yeah, well, it gives you it gives you an opportunity to learn from your failures, which you know, if you you mean if you approach things from the standpoint that every failure is a catastrophe, or you know, for a lot of people they fail at one time, they never want to attempt it again. Yeah. You know, or even yeah. if they don't even fail, they're they're so afraid of failing that they stop themselves from making any attempt at anything in the first place. So you have sort of this network failure. You, you're afraid right. you're going to fail, so you don't do anything, so you can make sure it doesn't ever happen. Yeah, they're premature failures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, at least do it first, then you can fail, right? You got to actually do it first. They're like, no, let me just fail beforehand. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you talk to anyone that has their own business on, on any level, you know, whether it's someone that, you know, even for bartending, for someone that's successful at, you know, you ask them, you know, well, what's your career been like? I know some very successful bartenders that making the six figures. Oh, no and doubt. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it can be very. I pulled young kids. Especially out here in Vegas, they make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they can. Like, you do that. It's like, well, you know, tell, tell me about you know, your experience. Everything's not built on a mountain of failures. It's it's all these times that you screwed up that you learned. Yeah. And you, yeah. you keep persisting with it. Yeah. And health, is no, right. you know, health is no different. You know, what, what, what does it mean to be healthy? <laughs> Yeah, you know, in a certain sense, it means that when you fail, you keep going beyond that. You don't let it stop you. Exactly. Well, that's one of the things I enjoy about physical training is that if you're in it for the long haul, you're going to be dealing with a lot of setbacks and things not working out the way you wanted to, yet you keep moving forward. If you keep moving forward, you're going to get closer to those goals and ultimately achieve them or at least get very close to achieving them. No matter what, it's forward progress. So if you had a goal of deadlifting 600 pounds and then you missed it by 20 pounds, it's still better than what you did before that. And it's never, it's not a linear path. You don't just start working out yeah. and then it's, it's consistent progress. Every single workout, you're just, it's just this linear progression month after month, year after year. It's not like that. It's a lot of peaks and valleys and you learn a lot about your commitment to the process when you go through it. Yeah, well, you get, it's in a way like physical training is this minute for you. You get to test your own adversity. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's can, a good way can to I, do can it. Handle, I handle mm -hmm. toughness? Can I handle something not going my way? Can I handle the fact that the outcome that I want may require way more action than I ever anticipated? And you get to practice that every time you go to the gym, every time you commit to you know, a goal to make something happen. And you, you can do it over the course of your life. So there's no, it's not by, it's not by action or chance. Most people that are, you know, successful, so to speak. If you look at, you know, profile billionaires or even you profile people throughout history who have been, you know, this very entrepreneurial in terms of what they created, they all have some sort of physical physical culture practice, you could call it, where they're constantly testing themselves. Yeah. And they're testing themselves in such a way that it enables them to maintain their output and maintain their momentum in other areas. Yeah. No, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I think there was, I think it might have been one of your followers, Alexander, who taught, who put down Michael Jordan's stats. And all of his mm -hmm. stats were most missed attempts. He doesn't, he doesn't hold the record for making the most baskets. He may, he, I think he holds the record for attempting to and failing to make that. But he's regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest. So it was, it was more that he put himself out there more than anyone else. He went through all those iterations more than anyone else. Some people remember the greatness. They don't remember the struggle, though. Well, people remember that. Yeah, you know, people remember the highlights. You know, most of the time we talk about people in in remembrance. And, you know, what were the great things they did? Yeah, which is normal. I mean, that's human nature. You want to look at what was good. But right, you know, the reality right. is, that, you know, anything, you know, any successful outcome is usually built 
you know, on, like I said, on this big layer of what didn't work out. And, you know, you know, <laughs> you know I, I compare it almost like a batting average. <clears throat> if you do something one time and you miss, you know, okay, you're at zero. If you do something ten times and you do it three times, that's 300% more than if you've never done it. Well, I, yeah. I failed the yeah. seven attempts. Mm-hmm. Whatever, it's 300% more than if you had never done anything. You know, so that, that action of going from zero to one, though, like that paralyzes people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no kidding. You know, attempt something, it's not going to work. But if you do it 50,000 times, and, you know, you know, in Jordan's case, he's got thousands of missed shots, whatever, he didn't care. What were what, what his actual stats? When, when it mattered, what did he put up? Yeah, you know, he put up six rings, so I guess it worked out. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to be so focused on where you're going that you're hitting these potholes. No big deal. You just keep going. You're getting you're, these impediments are in the road. You go around it. You just keep going because you're so focused on the destination you're trying to get to that you're willing to deal with all of those hassles along the way. And that's why when someone doesn't achieve a goal or they need more motivation, these are their words, that's just someone who doesn't isn't, isn't committed to achieving what they set out to. So you realize real fast when you start any progress whether you're actually whether this is something you actually want to achieve or not. You're going to learn that the truth is going to come out usually pretty early in that whole process. Yeah, I mean the the, the meaning comes out you know really early. I I've I first said that one in the past to, you know with a few essays I've written on various websites, but you know people talk about like I need all I need motivation. Like if you continuously need motivation, what you're doing doesn't have much <laughs> real meaning to you. Exactly. If, some, if something is meaningful, if you have an actual vision for your, for the goal, for the life, for the business, what have you, or you're going to bring it to fruition, that will sustain you whether you feel excited about it or not. Motivation is a temporary state. Yeah, every, everyone's right. excited at the beginning with something new. You know, when, the, when it gets hard, when you're you know, six months in the red, you know, when you're struggling, okay, I need to get this, I need the next six months to work out, otherwise I'm going to go under. Are you are you dedicated then? That, yeah, that's why you know, I talk. You know, that's why I'm, I'm always a little hesitant with guys when they talk about success and like passion. You know, let's say yeah. you know, I feel like Richard Branson. Like I'm so passionate about it. You know, like I was, and obviously he's hyper successful. But like, were you passionate about it when your when your business failed? Like, were you passionate about it when X X Y and Z completely went bankrupt? Like, were you passionate then, or do you, do you, you know, were you, are, you, are you passionate now because it was successful? You know, the reality is that passion may, is probably not going to be enough to sustain you. Yeah, it has to have no, purpose. Yeah, exactly. I wrote a whole chapter in that book. I go, passion is not enough for success because passion is that excitement stage where it's, it's easy to be passionate when things are going well or you're just getting started. It's new and fresh. You know, what are you going to do when things aren't going well? That's when you're going to learn. You're going to learn your commitment. Forget about passion. How much commitment do you have? How much do you actually care about this? Really, it comes down to whether you care about it or not. And you're going to learn that through the process. Because you may have these training goals you write down on a piece of paper going, this is what I want to achieve. It's like, well, we're going to see. We're going to see if you actually want to achieve those things. You may want to, you may go on and achieve them and many more. Or you may give up after a couple of weeks of trying because you realize real fast, nah, I'm not willing to pay the price. I'm not willing to go through the crucible for this. Yeah, I'll see. It's like a, you can compare it to like being in a relationship. Like, you know, everyone, you know, when you meet that new person, it's like, you know, everything's hot and sexy and wet. And, oh, I'm, I'm really passionate about this. This is awesome. Like, yeah, you're, you're passionate about these. You're fucking like rabbits, you know, every day for three months. You hope. I'll say outright, I don't relationship I'm in right now, but like, yeah, all the other short-term things I had that were three months long, first argument that came along or first time I was like, oh, God, I just kind of sick this girl. You know what? I'm not passionate about this anymore. Okay, I can find another. <laughs> yeah, you see it in divorce rate. You see that in you know, relationship with people. You know, how, I mean, how many people do you know that have been divorced? 
you know, two, three, four years. Ah, I guess I wasn't that into it. You know, I guess you know, we really didn't love each other that much. I'm like, yeah, maybe you didn't. Or maybe you just quit because it got a little bit difficult. You know, and that initial excitement of the person you're with wasn't enough to keep it going. I'm like, you were never in it fully to begin with then. Yeah, or it just deteriorated yeah. into something you needed yeah. to get the fuck out of. <laughs> you know, where it was a little bit of these situations where it was great for a while, and then you're like, you know what? This is I'm just not happy with this. I've grown into this person. You haven't grown into anything. It's like we're no longer compatible. Let's just move on. It's not a big deal. Exactly. Let's move on. You've yeah, grown no, into a different directions. You know? It's like a power of quit. You know, like I, I said that last night on my email list. I'm like, you know, there's nothing wrong with quitting things. You know, they're not good for you. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's yeah. kind of a weird way to fail, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm so afraid of failing at this. I'm going to keep persisting at it, even though I know it's not working out. Like, sometimes <laughs> You're not afraid of failing, if that's the case, because you're you're practicing it every time that you, <laughs> yeah. you need to do something you're, you're that doesn't serve you. <laughs> that's a failure. You know, somebody, are you happy? No. But you're still there? Nope. Yeah. Are you leaving? Nope. No. Failure. Nope. <laughs> it's all right. it's straight up, man. It's yeah, like, serving. quit. Kick it. Yeah, there's something you said yeah. for you know, sometimes shit, when shit does not work out, you need to end it. Well, sometimes things you are passionate about, you're not going to be passionate about forever, right? Like when I got into the fitness business, kettlebell training was my focus. And for many years after, it was great. I, I loved traveling around the world teaching. This was fine. And then around 2012, I started having a little bit less passion. And then or 2013, even less. And then it, I could see where it was going. So rather than try to rekindle that, there were so many other things that I was interested in that it was easy for me just to make a sidestep and go in that direction. Hormone optimization, developing nutrition supplements, et cetera, doing the podcast, and eventually those things just took over, and the things that I weren't that I weren't that I wasn't that interested in anymore just fell to the wayside, basically organically. So it, it's okay. I, I think sometimes people feel disheartened when they were really passionate about something, and for whatever reason, that passion is no longer there. That's okay. Right. It ran its course. You don't have to. Re I mean, sometimes you're burned out. You just need to go take a week off. You go on a vacation. You come back. You're ready to go. Other times, that's not the case. You, everything you wanted to do in that field, you've achieved. Now it's time to move on to something else, which is fine. Do it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you like, yeah, I met Mac. I remember Mike right back in the day following you when I got to finish in like 2009, like kettlebells were the thing. And now, obviously, you've got it in, in you know, somewhat different direction. You still have kettlebell products. It's not like you completely. Oh, yeah. And I still train with kettlebells. I still work out with kettlebells. You know, so it's always, yeah, I enjoy you, you, kettlebell you workouts. Yeah, you, you evolve. This is not something. Exactly. It's just, I just don't want to teach yeah. beginner kettlebell courses anymore because it, it's too it's too familiar and it's too redundant and it's you go into everything knowing exactly what's going to happen, right? It's not exciting anymore. So I mean, the bottom line is it doesn't really matter what the reason. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what the reasons are. If you're not excited about it, then have the courage to move on. That's always been amusing to me. I mean, you had the courage to do it the first time. The first time you got into it, it was fresh. It was uncharted territory. So why can't you mm -hmm. do it again? So sometimes people have the courage to do it once, but they're like, oh, I don't want to go through that process again. It's like, why not? You know, it was exciting the first time. Let's do it again. You know what you can do. Like, I have a good friend of mine, right? He's, I just met up with him recently from high school, and he's a very successful entrepreneur. And then he's around my age, right? So he decided that, you know what? I've always wanted to be an actor. It's always been a passion of mine. Now I've got plenty of money in the bank. I've got good residual income coming in. So fuck it. I'm going to go pursue it. And he's starting cool. at the very bottom, as you can imagine, and he doesn't care because he's enjoying the whole process. He's not going, well, I need to start off making this because that's what I'm used to. He doesn't have any of those expectations. He's just having fun with the whole thing. And that, uh -huh. that's, I go, this is great. So, I mean, this is always something you wanted to do. You're putting everything else on the back burner because you don't have to do it anymore. You're having the courage to try something else. 
So I, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they, they can't wait to get old so that they can have an excuse for not doing anything anymore. They're like, well, I'm too old to do that. You know, people love saying that, like, I'm too old to do that. Oh, you know, if I were younger, I would do that. People can't wait to get to that mindset. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had so many clients that I, you know, like, I mean, guys in my early 30s, and it always drives me crazy when they'll complain about that. <laughs> Women, too, or, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling old. Like, this is, I guess it's not, how, it's not how it used to be, right? I'm not going to feel how it used to be. I'm like, bro, you're 34 years old. Yeah. Like, you're overweight. Yeah. You're overworked. You probably haven't had sex with your girlfriend, like, you know, six months. And, like, you think this is how the rest of your life is supposed to go? You know, like, your, your heyday was when you were 21. Like, that, that's your comparison. <laughs> like, how you supposed to feel physically? Yeah. I'm like, you've given up on yourself, basically, is what you're telling me. I'm like, and that's always, you know, right. just, I'm usually more diplomatic having that conversation. But that ends up, that's essentially the state of reality. I'm like, yeah. And at the weird time, there's still this weird dichotomy where people want to, you, know, you want you want to stay young. So you want, you want to feel the same way you did when you were 20. But then you want to give up on yourself in your 30, and then you want to harken back by the time you get to 40 of like, oh, well, how did my life turn out like this? And like, because you were incongruent and didn't give a shit at way too many junctures. That's exactly right. And if you take care of yourself in your 20s, you take care of yourself in your 30s, guess what? 40s aren't a big deal. But if you, no. if you, I mean, if you went out drinking every night in your 20s and you continue to do it in your 30s, and then you're wondering what happened in your 40s, it's obvious what happened. You know what you did. Yeah, I, or, or maybe it's not obvious. I mean, some people, it's like, you know, I mean, I, I'm always amazed, you know, since I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of clients now that have been older where it really hits yeah. them selling their 40s. Like, wow, not taking care of myself had an effect on myself. I'm like, yeah, that, that, like, that's how that goes. <laughs> that's if, what happens. Like yeah, you know, like, the two, the two biggest things you can do for yourself in your 20s as a young person, maintain your physical health because that sets you up for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then, you know, learn yeah. some skill sets that allow you to be entrepreneurial, you know, beyond that age. And, like, if your health yeah, exactly. declines, you know, and when you're 29 and you're in worse shape than you were 20, oh, Jesus, like, gravity's going to fucking destroy you. Like, gravity pulls everything straight down. Like, you can pull a pen out of your pocket and watch that happen in real time. So, you know, if you're feeling this way now at 29, what do you think you're going to be at when you're 40 or 50? You're going to be miserable. And then yeah. now you're going to be fighting an uphill battle against your doubts, your fears, your bad habits, your family, you know, your whole toxic environment you built for yourself, your life. And then something that could have been easy in your 20s, so to speak, now it's just hell to go through and change. Yeah, you know, guess what? Change is hard. And you, but you made it this way. You know, this this was your fault. Yeah. And that, that, that's a sobering realization for people. I mean, it's, it's like car maintenance, right? If you take care of your car, you check the air pressure, you get the oil changes consistently, you just do little things here and there, you're not going to have that big breakdown. But most people wait for the car to completely break down. Thing with cars is you can always buy another one with your own body. That's a much dip, more difficult solution. You, nope. you get ten pounds overweight, you realize, okay, I'm ten pounds overweight. Let me pull it back in. It's a lot easier to get back on course than when you're fifty pounds overweight or a hundred pounds overweight or more. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just more of it. You've you're in a way you're almost in like a negative state of inertia. Yeah, you could think of it that way. Yeah, yeah. Now, like you, um, yeah, if you're Close that point where you can get momentum going easily. Great. If you're at a point where you're trying to, so you're, 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 you almost need to overcome, you need to overcome inertia just to take a forward step. Yeah, and then your inertia builds up greater and greater the longer, you know, the worse state you get, you get, you get into, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah, that's exactly right.
I think this is why also people gravitate towards things that are simple that make them feel better, whether it's food and then a lot of times it's social media. People get into these really heated debates on Twitter. They're using old caps. That's always amusing to me. <laughs> I go, man, if only you had this passion about your own life. And I don't mean your virtual life on here. Or people that make fun of these virtual sites. They go, man, second life, what a bunch of losers. And these people are on Twitter for eight hours every day or they're on Facebook five hours a day. It's like, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like, oh yeah, that's why. That's why stuff like video games. I'm not like, you know, and, yeah, you can waste time playing video games. But I'm like, what, what's worse? I'm like, you can do something for you know on the weekends. You know, maybe it's like your friend time with your friends virtually. I find that weird, but whatever. You can do that. I'm like, all right, at least you're yeah. interacting. You're doing something that's mentally stimulating with your mind. Like that's definitely right, right. You know, like research proves that. Like, yeah, actually, video games are very mentally stimulating. They can help you learn. But I mean, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Or, you know, you could be on Twitter and Facebook, you know, having a political argument with some person you're never going to meet on the opposite side of the country. Never. You know, yeah. telling them that they're, you know, you're know, calling them an asshole. And, like, and then, you know, 12 <laughs> hours goes by. It's, it's Sunday, and you're pissed off because of a comment someone left on a thread. Saturday morning, <laughs> like, I think he wasted time more than the other guy did. Just, just feel yeah. it. Yeah. But you know what? You'll fix him. I'll block him. <laughs> it's like, like that's gonna be the solution right there. Like, you know what? F that guy. I'm gonna block him now, and I'm gonna tell him I'm blocked. You know what, dude? I'm blocking you. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm sure his life is gonna stop now. I was like, oh my god, Mike blocked me. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> well, hey man, we could have you on for a while, but we know you got things to do. So, where can people find know. out more about? Where about where's what's your website and also you, you got a lot of really interesting information. I know you have a subscriber list where you give out a lot of content as well. So where can people find out more about all that? Uh, yeah, so this is a this is a highly political discussion. This is fun. Um, yeah, in terms <laughs> of where you, this, you know, this is awesome. Where you can find me? Uh, so my website's my full name, Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez dot com. It's all one word. And then the the, I, the email is the primary way I correspond to people. I email out three times a day, and I answer all the emails. And it's oh, great. A, yeah, and just as, as an FYI warning, I do actually email everybody three times a day, and the emails are not just fit, they're not just fitness. So the, the way I conceptualize the website or sort of my brand, so to speak, I realize again we've been talking about like different subjects. You know, when, we, when people talk about health and talk about fitness ends up becoming this broad subject where you start talking about, you know, your mentality, you start talking about your lifestyle, you start talking about your relationships. Like, you can't confine it to just your exercise. So, henceforth, you know, the, the email list if you get on or the website if you subscribe to or, or my own podcast, I cover pretty broad range of topics. Anything that I think is relevant to overall health mentality, it will be discussed, you know, regardless of how, you know, perhaps, you know, regardless of how incorrect or controversial it is. Now that's one thing I like about your stuff. You're very you're very irreverent in your Twitter. Your Twitter is great. So where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, so Twitter yeah, it's A J A underscore Cortez. You can follow me on Twitter. Um I am on Facebook as well. Alexander Juan Antonio Cortez, same thing, full name. And then uh the podcast on the podcast is on iTunes, is SoundCloud as well. It's the art of health. Great. Well great man. Awesome discussion. Really fun. We'll definitely get you back again at some point. And thanks a lot. Thanks again for coming on, man. Pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks. Cool. All right, you take care. You have a good one. Adios. Have a great day. Take care. All right. So check out Alexander Cortez's website. Check out his Twitter. I definitely definitely follow him on Twitter. Like I said, he's one of the few guys that I'm consistently checking out to see what he does. He has a lot of fun posts, a lot of good training information, philosophical stuff as well. 
Also, before we wrap up today, we haven't done any shout outs in a long time. So I made a point of compiling a list of people that are using that coupon code LLA to go get 10% off all the great products at MikeMahler.com. Aggressive Strength is finally back in stock. Got my inventory back in today. So all those back orders are going to start going out later this afternoon and definitely tomorrow. So everyone who ordered a while back and been waiting around, appreciate the wait. And it's all going out today and tomorrow. So you're going to have everything locked and loaded very soon. So those of you that have been using that coupon code, we have Owen Foster, Brian Walsh, Charles Robert, Tyler Comstock, Philip Arnold, Tammy Bernardo, Frank Torelli, Justin Maine out of Australia. We got David Brower, Kevin O'Dell. They're all using that coupon code LLA to get 10% off great products and services and support the show. So be like these people. Use that coupon code. Go get 10% off some great supplements, content, etc. at MikeMahler.com. And they can use it at your website as well, right? Exactly. You can use that same coupon code at NewWarriorTraining.com. And you can purchase anything over there and get that discount, man. So make use of that. Also, for the folks that you know, we've referenced the subscriber-only episodes as well. So you want to know more about that, head over to patreon.com slash podcast, become a monthly subscriber, and be privy to those subscription-only episodes. And like I said, we're gonna, the next one we'll definitely be talking about, um, you know, what to do in time, as far as training in times when you're sick. So especially this time of year because, you know, because global warming doesn't exist. You know, meanwhile, most of these places – that's usually like deathly cold this time of year. They're already experiencing spring and summer, but then two days 80, later, 80 degrees there's a snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah. It's, yeah. it's a snowstorm two days later, but then a couple of days after that, it's 80 degrees and you're in shorts. And that's happening at like places in the east and things like that where it's not normal. So, right. of course, that's a breeding ground for a lot of people to start getting sick, and they can take, it can really hamper your training. So, we're going to talk about that next time around. So, yeah, head over there and become a monthly subscriber. There's different levels that you can subscribe to. And um, little perks that come along with each one of those levels. So, again, that's patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All right? So, yeah, man. All right, folks. Take care, everyone. You have a good one. All right. Take care.